Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaverdam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens in the history of the church, things get messy. And after this past synod, things are continually getting messier and messier in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. We also want to continue to say thanks to everyone who sponsored us on Patreon. We're slowly making our way toward our goal of 20 sponsors at $5 a month. If you appreciate what we're doing and want to help us continue to put out content, head on over to patreon.com slash themessyreformation. You can also support us for free by sharing our content. I'm a terrible self-marketer and need your help. If you know of anyone who would benefit from listening to this content, let them know about the Messy Reformation. Also, let them know about our newest announcement, the Hall of Tyrannus. We're really excited about this new opportunity to disciple reformers for the CRCNA. If you'd like more information on this, head on over to themessyreformation.com and look for the Hall of Tyrannus. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part two of our conversation with Jesse Walhoff. Yeah, I've been thinking lately, and uh, I haven't said it fully because I wasn't sure if it was a fair accusation, but I've talked to a few other people who are probably more nuanced in their thinking and they agreed with me. So I want to throw this out here and we'll see if I get pushed back, see what you think. But one of the, one of the reasons I think uh, the CRC has had such a difficult time um, taking a stance on anything or really um, is because of uh, a faulty understanding of Kyperianism. Yeah. And this, uh, this desire to engage in the culture, right? So I would, call myself Kyperian. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but so I've seen this through our denomination. We want to be engaging in the culture. We want to be speaking into issues. We want to be in academia. We want to be in all of these things. Uh, but we also want to be respectable in all of these places. Yep. And so we get up into academia. And so we see some of these professors that have been like rock solid conservatives, like really solid. And all of a sudden, the, the academic tides change and we see them just kind of, they, they sway with the tide. And why is that? I think it's because like, you're going to be blackballed if you don't swing with the tides. Right. And so you start to kind of justify in your own mind. Well, if I move with this, then I can, then I can preach the gospel into that area too. Right. And I, if I, if I take a strong stance on this, I'm going to be pushed off to the side and then I'm going to lose an opportunity to share the gospel or to, or to speak the kingdom of God into this area, right? And so I'm going to fudge a little bit here just so I can keep my influence and keep my whatever. And and if we just kind of keep everything foggy and fuzzy, then we can we can have official stances that are orthodox, but but we can kind of wade over here and still be respectable in academic circles. But 
when there's clarity, you lose that. And, and it's kind of the funny thing for me because like, I'm just a country farm boy. I'm like a nobody pastor out in rural Wisconsin. And, you know, Jesse, you're in rural Iowa, you know, there's nothing there. And Willie's in rural Minnesota. And we're like, I don't, I've never been respectable. (laughs) (laughs) So we're we're not, we're not worried about that. (laughs) (laughs) So let's just tell it like it is right. Like, let's just say what it is and, uh, and stand on this. And, uh, and I think that's a really good thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's. I completely agree with you. I think that this idea of Kuyperianism has has been nuanced to death to the point that what was originally intended by Kuiper as a way in which to engage culture from the perspective of the gospel has now been co-opted by culture so that instead of it's us going out into the culture, culture is now coming into us. Yeah. And in doing so, everybody who has bought into a mindset of culture has done so because they are so afraid to offend, which it, it mean, we can learn something from our brethren over in the Lutheran denomination. Right. Martin Luther called it the offense of Christ. Christ. That's right. Christ is supposed to be offensive. When did we get to the point? that all of a sudden proclaiming the gospel needed to be a hundred percent, make you feel good and happy all the time. I mean, sometimes there are sins that are so grievous and largely in my outreach work, I'm not going to go to an alcoholic and be like you're going to hell because you're drinking yourself to death. That's nuanced for sure. But there are some things like human sexuality that you need to say, no, this is wrong. And risk being offensive for the sake of God's truth. And if we aren't willing to be offensive for the sake of Christ, we can't really stand up for what we believe at all. So I think you're absolutely completely correct. Yeah. And, and you know, I think this is where history is helpful for us. Um, and, and again, I think actually part of this debate, too, falls down to very different understandings of history. So I think like you and I and Willie and, and all of us who are wanting to hold to the confessions, we're thinking like there's been a historically faithful church throughout history where progressives look back and think like things have been progressing and evolving over time. And so you look back on history and they were just not quite where we are now. Like we're kind of at the epitome of history, but, but like you look back at, so I read a lot of Puritans. Mm-hmm. And uh, you read the Puritans and you read like the diary of David Brainerd and his, his gospel ministry among the native Americans. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he would preach the gospel to them and make, they would become so aware, so convicted of their sin that they would be in despair for three days. Yeah. And then they would finally receive the gospel and feel that. And I remember hearing that thinking, Nobody would do that. I like these days, like if somebody, if you convicted somebody of their sin and they started to weep, they'd be like, no, 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 don't feel bad about it. Just, mm-hmm. just, it's okay. And, uh, and it's because we've got this, this therapeutic kind of thing coming in here where it's, it's bad to ever feel bad. It's yeah. bad to feel guilt or shame where the Bible's like, actually, um, I've, I've told people this, um, you know, second Corinthians seven, Paul says to the Corinth, like, you know, I felt kind of bad when I sent you that really tough letter where I just chewed you out hardcore. I kind of felt bad until I saw that it led you to repentance. Right. right. I feel really good. 
Yeah. The fact that this led you to repentance, that's a godly grief that you experienced. Yeah, um, there's a worldly grief that doesn't lead to repentance that leads to death. Yeah. That's not good. But but a hard, a hard like edge on it leads to a godly can lead to godly repentance, which leads to life. And that's and that's the craziest thing to me is how some, you know, that 25-30% can take can take the 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 tenacity out of the gospel, right? I mean, yeah, you mentioned in, you know, in Corinth and then Paul writes to the letter in the letter to the Galatians and the Galatia churches and said, why are you buying into this circumcision stuff? You know, a better way it's Jesus Christ. And he spends all the chapters basically railing against them and their false system of belief. And if we want to take it one step further, we look at the Lord and savior of the world, Jesus Christ, he's sitting there in front of the Pharisees and he, he even has venom on his tongue when he says, you brood of vipers. You're not getting anyone to heaven. In fact, you're standing in their way. And then, you know, before that, he goes into the temple and sits down. One of my favorite stories is they're changing the, you know, changing money in the temple. He sits down and actually crafts a whip. Like, he makes a whip. He spends time to go and tear things up in the house of God. The Lord is not willing to offend for the purpose of God's truth. The Son of Man is willing to be offensive for the proclamation of the gospel for the purposes of repentance so that he may love them to salvation. Why is that not good enough for us? What makes us so special? I I do not get that. When you take the, when you take the intensity out of the gospel, you neuter everything we believe. And that is when you become nothing but relativistic. And that is dangerous. So on a really positive note, <laughs> yep. Uh, I'm actually wondering, Jesse, I agree with absolutely everything you're saying. And you're speaking to the concerns that you're seeing in our denomination, uh, not just present, but also past. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering about uh, progress and um, really, you know, fruitful things that you have seen from the denomination. Uh, if you could speak to those things, too, I'm, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are about what we what we've done right in our denomination i think one of the biggest things uh, well last summer going all the way back till the hsr i think that was a huge standpoint i i know in in our um in our classes and especially the classes around us there was talk that if that hsr was not passed that there was no option but to leave because we could not simply covenant if we were not holding the covenants you know, yeah. we just couldn't do it. And so I think that was a huge, tremendous thing to say, you know what, we are writing the wrongs of the past where we now are clearly stating, no, this is firmly our stance and has always been our stance. So I think that was a good first step saying not just what we believe, but what we've always believed, which retroactively undoes a lot of the damage of making no decision at all. So I think that is a really positive step. I also think it's very impressive how there have been at least 200, 300 pastors in the denomination who have stood up and said, whether it be through the Abide Project or other means, we not only want to remain confessional, but we want to remain with each other to make sure that we remain confessional. And I've seen a lot of brotherhoods and sisterhoods grow out of that. Yeah, I've seen a lot of relationships being founded from the ashes of the burn wounds that were, oh, what's going to happen in 2022? 
right? Like case in point, I'm on here. I'm sure you've had other guys on here that met you guys through Synod or through Abide Project stuff. Um, I know for a fact that right now there's about eight or nine different pastors that I could call who I never would have met before if it wasn't for this, who are now working together for the sake of the denomination to secure not only what we view as the correct way, which is the correct way of viewing the scripture, but we are now working together for the sake of the denomination itself. And that is a tremendously important thing. And I think another, probably a third positive out of it is just the mere fact that there's 70% of us. I think we forget that because, and, and I'll be the first to admit, I'm not a fan of the banner at all. I do not like the banner. I think it's borderline propaganda. And I've told that to my congregation. And there are a couple of them that want me to write an overture asking to defund it. I'm debating on that right now. (laughs) But I am not a fan of the banner. But when that is fed to us and that narrative is fed to us, we can often feel like, oh, man, we're that we're the only confessional voice out there in a desert. And so to understand that we are together and there's that many of us. Oh man, Classis Heartland isn't alone. Classis Iacota isn't alone. Classis Ileana isn't alone. We have brothers and sisters who are standing right with us. And it's that kind of unity which will propel this denomination forward. So that's the really exciting stuff. Yeah, 100%. And I, I keep telling people, you know, now Willie and I have been doing this podcast for uh, over two years now. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have intentionally not done any repeated pastors. We just keep putting a new one on a new one on each time. And uh, we have had like zero problem finding just solid, great guys to come on the podcast because there's a lot, I mean, there's, that's uh, it is actually, you know, I, I remember, actually, I remember thinking back our very first interview we did on this podcast. If you go way back to episode, I think one, mm-hmm. I remember, um, talking to a couple of pastors, actually Derek Bukema was episode one. And I asked him like, what are some of the strengths of the CRC? And he's like, I don't know. I, I, I'd be curious what everybody else is going to say when we answer this, but man, I just got together with a whole bunch of really solid CRC pastors. There's some just really good, godly, solid men in, in ministry, but I don't know if that's the case with the rest of the denomination, you know? And, and I'm trying to say now, like we've been doing this for two years. Yes, that is the case, but yeah. Until we start and still until we kind of got into this tension mm-hmm. as a denomination, we didn't feel that way. Most of the just solid conservative Orthodox guys felt like they were alone and kind of on an island, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Because yeah. We're, it's not the case. Yeah. It's because we for the longest time, whether it be through the 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 informational means of the CRC or whether it just be through lack of communication or whether it be through instruments that weren't present in which to talk with one another for the longest time, it was all of us independently being fed one line of thinking that is, this is the truth of the CRC. Yeah. And and I don't think any of us really had the capability or even the know-how until probably two, three years ago mm-hmm. to say, no, what we're being told isn't necessarily the fact. Yeah. And so it's just been a really excellent eye-opening time to realize that what we are being told 
isn't necessarily not only the truth, but it's also not necessarily the way that it has to be. Yeah. That's extremely hopeful. Yeah. And and I've been telling everybody, you know, I, I always laugh. I kind of, I laugh when people talk about this being like this organized coup kind of a thing. And I'm like, it, what, like for one, you think people are way more organized than they really are. Like yeah. there's no organization really going on, but at its core, this whole movement leading up to Synod 2022 has been uh, just grassroots. It's been just like your typical local church, your typical local pastor saying, Hey, what's going on in the CRC? No, we don't want this to go on. And, and it's kind of been this wake up call, I think, for your typical CRC church to say, no, this isn't who we are. We need to say something. And, uh, and actually I've been, I'll take it even a step further. It's it. So it's this kind of grassroots movement of just your typical CRC or stepping up. But I think that's actually just the movement of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. As well. I think there's a movement of the spirit kind of going through our denomination saying, no, here's who we are. Here's where we're going to stand. Now let's step up. Let's speak. We're not going to sit back anymore and just listen to what the the seminary says or the the board or not the board of trustees, the council of delegates or whatever. No, as the church, the local church, we're going to speak and yeah. we're going to be heard now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, it, you know, Another really exciting thing is that this has coalesced so many of the unheard voices into taking action. Yes. There have been so many people for a long time who have had the inability or the, I don't want to say indecisiveness, but they haven't been extremely involved in the Christian Reformed Church. And now all of a sudden they're saying our voices can be heard and need to be heard. Yeah, And all of them are joining together and saying, we are not, we are not separate. We are all taking intentional action. We're seeing whether for positive or negative, depending on which side of the aisle you stand, so to speak, what we're seeing right now is possibly one of, if not the only time in the last 60 years of the CRC unifying around an issue. And that is tremendously good to see. Yeah. Because it feels like we're an actual church now. Mm-hmm. You know, for a long time, it felt like the CRC was this thing that we paid finances to. And, you know, we went to Synod occasionally and made decisions upon, but it didn't really have any really intentional stuff for that had to deal with us. Now it does. And now we're building relationships actually as a denomination for the first time in a long time. And I think that's tremendously healthy and you're right. It's all the work of the spirit. Yeah. Amen. And I just appreciate um, hearing you say, cause I'm a hundred percent in agreement hearing you say that this has actually caused us to be more unified mm-hmm. and uh, more like relational mm-hmm. and more connected as a denomination as a whole, rather than, you know, the, Again, the accusations are this has been divisive and it's going to destroy everything. And yeah. and actually, we're saying, no, there's like this tremendous amount of unity and brotherhood and fellowship that's coming out of this yep. more than anybody has felt for a very long time. Oh, for, for decades, I would argue. I, I, can, I can only speak from personal experience in this regard, but I myself as a CRC pastor have never felt closer in terms of brotherhood with my fellow CRC pastors than I have the last year and a half. And I've been in the CRC my entire life. 
but I cannot recall the last time where I've had more conversations, more discussions, more dinners, more just times hanging out with other CRC pastors. And it's all because I think what the devil intended for evil, the Holy Spirit is using for good because he's bringing us all together in him. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I'm experiencing that too. And that's a good thing. Uh, you know, I think, I don't know when we mentioned this, I don't know, all these podcasts start to blend together eventually, but I'm sure I repeat myself a lot, but, but the beauty just to try to make sure we see the bigger picture, the beauty of the fact that as a denomination, now we're feeling like we're, we're drawing together. We've got this unity. We've got this brotherhood Mm -hmm. is that I think we're becoming stronger as a denomination, like it's going to be a little bit, right? There's going to be some issues still, but, but we're becoming stronger and we're becoming stronger at a time when the culture is that when churches in general are not becoming, they're becoming weaker. Right. Yeah, and so, yeah, yeah. and the culture is getting more intense kind of coming after us as the church. And so we're going to need one another even more. And yeah, so I yeah. think, again, this is why I really believe the spirit is doing a work here, preparing the, us for, um, I think there's going to be bigger trials coming down the road and it's not going to be human sexuality necessarily like theological debates in the church. I think that the culture is com- coming after us as the church and we're going to need to have one another's backs and support one another. And we need to stop having to fight about some of these other things and just be able to have a brotherhood where we've got, we're walking step in step. Yeah, um, absolutely. The Lord. You're absolutely right. And, and I know, Again, just from experience that there's a couple of pastors who are not CRC that, you know, whether they be Methodist or uh, one of them's RCA, who have looked at what we as the 70% have done and have said, I, I respect that. I'm envious of it. And thank you. Because their denominations have not done that. They And their denominations are really struggling right now. I mean, the Methodist denomination worldwide leading up to their vote in 2024. I mean, there are churches leaving left and right and where are we going to land? And we're sitting here going by the vast majority, we abide by the scriptures. And so I think this is another opportunity for us as a CRC to not just put our name on what is confessional, but also to emulate Christ in that and say, you can be counter to the culture in terms of you don't have to bow to it and still proclaim Christ and be effective. Yeah. And hopefully that acts as almost a, a mission and an example to other churches to do the same. Yeah. And again, to kind of connect all of this in, in my work too, I've done, you know, most of my ministry has been for the kind of downcast, the outcast and the down and out and, um, I'm, I've never served in a real like sexy ministry, right? It's all been just, um, and, uh, and when I'm doing that kind of work or doing evangelistic work, people just appreciate it. When you say, here's where I'm at, here's where I stand, here's what I believe. Now let's talk about it yeah. rather than trying to like be fuzzy and fishy in it. Just say, no, this is who we're, this is who we are. I can still appreciate you. We can still be buddies and completely disagree. You know, one of my best friends, for a long time was like an open theist and all of this. Right. And I'm like, we disagree on that. That's a massive issue for me, but I can still be buddies with you. We can still talk. We can still care for one another, Um, but we have clarity on it at least so that we know when we're talking, we can actually have a more fruitful conversation because we know where we disagree on this issue. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I think I, I myself also have, have many friends who I disagree with on 
quite a lot of things. I mean, some of my best friends in the world are, are legitimate hippies who live, you know, in, in a major city and they are, they're the type who, you know, run the, the, all vegan food stores and various other things. They're universalists. They are pro everything in the world. And I firmly disagree. And they know I firmly disagree. And I love those people to death. And I see them once a year. I go over intentionally and spend a week with them every single year. We can disagree and still love one another. But the issue that we're facing in the CRC isn't can we disagree and love one another? The answer is yes. But can we disagree and remain covenantal? That is the fundamental issue. Because one side, the side that we are not on, is saying, well, no, we can disagree and love one another. You're correct. That's not the issue at hand. Can we disagree and remain covenantal? Can we disagree and remain confessional? We have to understand that that's what we're really at the heart of the issue. Not the relational part, but the scriptural part. Yeah. Amen. 100%. Hundred percent. Well, what do you what do you see now, Jesse? Coming out of Synod twenty twenty two, and we're kind of looking forward now to Synod twenty twenty three. What do you think we need to be doing as as pastors and office bearers and and lay people in our churches? What types of things should we be doing as we look forward to twenty twenty three, and then even beyond? Really? Yeah, I think I think the first main thing that people need to do right now is pray. I think that is the biggest tool that the Lord gives us to not only show us his will, but to plead our case to him so that Christ may intercess on our behalf. I think everyone, regardless of where we stand, needs to be in prayer for two specific things. First of all, that his will be done so that his truth is shown. And second of all, that the church remains true to the gospel. Amen. And if we pray for those two things fervently, I have no doubt that we as a CRC will remain true in him. So I think first prayer. Second, we need to inform ourselves of the challenges coming up. I think we all need to be doing research, especially in the pastoral leadership and with our councils of things like the Gravamina process. I think we need to understand exactly and hopefully we can, they get the, the acts or excuse me, the agenda for Senate out in an early enough time frame. But we seriously need to evaluate what specific overtures are being sent. We need to understand things like, okay, where do we all stand with Calvin Center, excuse me, Calvin University in regards to their decision to allow their effectively their employees to go against what the church has stated is a truth of our belief system. We need to have serious discussions and understand what is coming in 2023 and beyond. And the third and perhaps the second most important thing besides prayer is I think every classes, every church, every group of people needs to be bold enough to say we have leaders who are outspoken and willing to stand up for the truth. We can't have a system any longer where it's, ah, I guess it's my turn to go to Senate or, oh, I guess it's my turn to vote. No, there are people who have voices on this. We need to nominate them to hold positions 
whether they be in the synod, in the COD, whether it even be in the denominational office, who are bold enough to proclaim, this is truth, this is what we stand up for, here's where we plant our flag in Jesus Christ. Yeah. I think that's Amen. very three very important things. Yeah, and uh, you know, just as you were saying that, I was thinking about, um, I was talking to a buddy of mine who's a, who's a deacon delegate, so he went to synod as a deacon. Yep. And uh, he was telling me, and I guess I'm just going to fire some shots, but that's okay. He was, I'll fire shots from his gun. Mm -hmm. But he's, he was like, I st stood at, at classes and watched pastor after pastor after pastor give pretty lame excuses on why they couldn't go to synod. Yeah. It, and he's like, and his words were, um, I, he probably listens to this. So he'll, he'll, his words were, that was shameful. Yeah. And, uh, and he was like, pastors, you guys, and, and office bearers, you guys need to step up Yep. and maybe you don't like it. It doesn't matter. Christ doesn't call you to do things you like. You need to do this, yep. step up and speak out and, yep. and fight for, for the kind of orthodoxy and reformation of the church. And so, um, I, I want to take his call. Cause I thought, actually I was sitting at the classes meeting kind of going like, well, yeah, it's, I guess I, you know, I could see why they wouldn't want to go. And he's like, no. No, that's bull. You guys need to step up and get out and do that. And so I thought, okay, let's make sure we we help people be thinking that. So I would encourage anybody listening to this, like be asking yourself, especially if you know if you're an elder or a deacon or a pastor, mm -hmm. be figure out how you can get there yep. and uh and be a voice for your classes and make the time for it. And uh because it's gonna be really important for us to have people who are willing to speak. At, at this next synod. Yeah, absolutely right. It, I completely agree with, and I affirm that call, not only if you have been, been given a gift to speak, but it is now the time to evaluate what you need to give up to be there. Because this is important. And if we don't stand up for what we believe now, we're never going to, and then we've lost everything. So those, I have no doubt at 2022 that, the good Lord put the exact right people he wanted in the exact right places. And I'll be praying for that again in 2023. So yes, if you feel it on your heart, please say yes, because now is the time to step up. That is what we have to do because 2023 is going to be as important, if not more so than 2022. And I'll just tell you, man, I can't wait to go. It's going to be great. So I, I hope to see many listeners there. I'm telling, I'm actually telling everybody, I think not to be a downer, um, but I think 2023 will be harder than 2022. Yes. Because yes. it's easy to make declarations that these things deserve discipline. It's harder to actually enact the discipline. Exactly. And yep. so like, we felt pretty good that we enacted the disciplinary process. Mm-hmm. Um, but the rubber's really going to hit the road at 2023 mm -hmm. and uh, it's going to be really hard. And, uh, I mean, nobody loves discipline, right? I mean, I read that from the floor of Sydney twice that yep. discipline is the Bible says discipline is hard. Nobody likes it. Yep. Um, and yet it bears fruit. Yeah. And, uh, and so at 2023, I think it's going to be even more exhausting. Mm -hmm. Um, but that shouldn't scare you away. If, if the Lord's calling you to, to this role, step in and trust him because he will provide what you need. Yeah. Um, 
He'll provide you the strength and the wisdom and the energy, and and he'll provide you the words to speak. And, and I want to encourage everybody, don't be afraid to speak at Synod. Mm-hmm. Um, people want to hear, um, they don't all want to hear the pastors speak. They, they want to hear the average person from the pew speaking. They want to hear you know, the elders and the deacons. And so don't be afraid. You don't have to be eloquent to get up and speak. You just get up and, and speak clearly because I think that's uh that's helpful. Yep. There, I, I put it this way to a couple of people. Uh, one in particular is a fellow pastor of mine who really wants to go. I said, when it comes to Synod, Synod 2023, 20, there have been previous synods that there have been the apostle Andrews that were needed in this synod. You need a bunch of apostles who are Peters and Pauls. Yep. And I say that not because I'm looking for a fight, not because I want there to be tension. I say that because it is time for boldness and boldness warrants action. We must stand up for what the we know is the gospel truth. We must stand up for our creeds and our confessions. So I completely echo your sentiment. If the good Lord is moving you to do it, please do it. There's tons of reasons not to, but there's one very important reason to do it, which is that it serves the Lord's kingdom and serves his church. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for our conversation with Aaron Gonzalez. But until then, don't forget this is Christ Church and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.